Hello and welcome to the second in our series of podcasts looking at the forthcoming whiplash reforms. You may recall our first podcast focused on the increase in the small claims track limit and the reforms specifically related to whiplash injuries. We also gave an overview of the new OIC or Online Injury Claims Portal. The OIC portal, of course, was built to process low value personal injury claims from most adult vehicle occupants and is specifically designed for such claims to be pursued by unrepresented claimants. With this second podcast and those to follow, we will explore the OIC portal in greater detail. I am Bavita Wright a partner at Waitmans, and I'm joined once again by Glyn Thompson, our technical lead for Mainstream Motor. Glyn is head of the motor sector focus team at FOIL and a member of its low value claims working group, as well as being our chief commentator on all matters related to the reforms. Hi, Glyn. Hello again, Bevita. Glyn, I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts on the OIC portal. So, where are we starting today? Well, today's podcast is all about liability and statements of truth. Great. So what about it? How does the OIC portal deal with liability, if at all? Well, the first thing to say is it does actually deal with liability. The existing portal doesn't, of course. So it really is worth taking the time now to make clear that this portal will try to resolve both liability and quantum, and not just quantum, as with the existing portal. That is an interesting development, and one that does make sense to resolve both liability and quantum. Let's explore the liability element. How exactly does the OIC portal deal with liability? Well, at its simplest, the claimant states his or her case and the defendant responds within 30 days, either with an admission in full or with something more qualified. And those more qualified responses might be a partial admission or an offer to split liability, a denial or an admission, but on the basis that either the claimant did not suffer injury known as a causation denial or an admission with a contention that the claimant was not wearing a seatbelt. So let's just pause and look at this. The insurer has a choice of responses, admission in full on the one hand, and then other types of responses. If the defendant does not admit in full, what is the process that needs to be followed to support that stance? Well, if a defendant responds to a claim in any other way than with a full admission, that defendant needs to obtain and upload evidence in support of that position, endorsed with a statement of truth. Full admissions, on the other hand, require neither a statement of truth nor evidence in support. So from what you're saying, you can admit for free, but it costs you a statement of truth and some evidence to take any other position. Yeah, that's right. And 30 days to respond? That's right, 30 working days or six weeks, which is twice as long as the existing portal. Glyn, I, I know under the existing portal, the timelines are challenging. So it must be a welcome development to have twice as long. Why the increase? 
Well, because if a defendant is going to need to obtain and upload a statement, endorsed with a statement of truth, they're going to need a bit more time to do it, really. Does the claimant need to upload evidence with a statement of truth to them? The claimant doesn't need to upload evidence at all. The OIC portal, of course, is designed for unrepresented claimants who will complete a CNF, setting out their version of events. And that CNF will be endorsed with a statement of truth. They can support their case by uploading other evidence, but they don't have to. But the defendant does need to obtain and upload evidence. Is that right? Well, defendants don't complete a CNF, remember. Claims aimed at defendants actually go to their insurers. So the person handling the claim at the insurer has to get a version of events from the defendant and upload that version to the portal. The claimant, if unrepresented, is actually putting their version directly onto the portal. The defendant's version will always be put onto the system by somebody else, you see. Okay, so what about other evidence? Do defendants have to upload other evidence as well as a version of events from the driver? Again, like with claimants, they don't have to, but they can. And they should, of course, if they can, because the more convincing a case they make in response to a claim, the more likely they are to persuade the claimant to accept what they have to say. So my advice is obtain and upload all the evidence you can if you're a defendant. There's absolutely no benefit, as far as I can see, to holding back with that evidence. Clearly, there are going to be occasions where the handler at the defendant's insurer can't get a statement from the defendant's driver within 30 days for a whole host of reasons. What is the situation where the handler cannot get the statement of truth? Well, I think it does happen a lot. That's the first thing to say. And the system allows the handler at the defendant's insurer to give a summary of what the defendant's case is. And that's the situation if they've not been able to get a signed statement from the defendant within 30 days, or they could even give a summary of the kind of inquiries they wish to make of the defendant if they've not been able to get hold of that defendant at all. The insurer has to have a good reason, however, if they're going to use that summary facility. Glenn, you mentioned the insurer has to have a good reason to use that summary facility. What's a good reason? Well, that isn't defined, but you might assume it means things like you weren't able to get hold of the defendant because they were incapacitated or out of the country. It probably doesn't mean that you, you know, forgot the six week deadline was approaching. So you haven't asked the defendant about the case. That probably wouldn't be a good reason. But ultimately, what a good reason means and what it is might come to be clarified by the courts. But what I'd say in the meantime is this. A case can never be denied to court unless the defendant gives a signed statement. You know, that's a given, that's certain. So on that basis that a statement from the defendant has to be obtained and uploaded at some point before a case can be denied to court, whether an insurer's reason for submitting a witness summary in place of a statement is good or not doesn't seem to matter. There's no real prejudice to a claimant by the defendant insurer putting in something of a holding response with a witness summary and then following it with a signed statement later. So that is a grey area. 
But what about a statement of truth then? Does the handler, insurer, give a statement of truth with the witness summary? And if they do, what are they confirming with it? So just breaking that down, yes, the insurer handler does give a statement of truth in, in their own name. And they're certainly confirming that what they've said in the witness summary is true as far as they're concerned. As to whether they're also confirming that they have a good reason for needing to use a witness summary or that they do not have a version of events from the defendant, if that's what their witness summary says, the rules are a bit vague. But I would say this, those dealing with claims that insurers would not be wise to submit a witness summary unless they genuinely cannot get the defendant's version of events or cannot get a signed statement from the defendant. Whilst there's no facility for a claimant to interrogate and insure a handler on the statement of truth they give, it would be a pretty uncomfortable day for anyone at an insurer who's called to give an explanation to the court as to why they provided a witness summary. If it later transpired that they had a signed statement all along or they had no good reason for using the witness summary facility. So um, be warned, I think. So let's have a look at it now from the, what the claimant's options are. So what are the claimant's options when faced with something other than a full admission? Well, they've got a few dependent upon what response they get. So firstly, if they receive a denial, they can accept that denial and the claim ends. That makes sense. If they accept a part, they can accept, should I say, a partial admission from a defendant, and then they will move on to quantification based on that partial admission. If liability is admitted but causation is denied or the defendant contends that a seatbelt was not worn, well, much like any other admission, the case moves to quantification and the expert will then comment on what each side has to say on either the causation or seatbelt issue. A claimant can also enter into negotiations on liability, whether in response to a denial or a partial admission. And if that negotiation leads to agreement, good. Again, they move on to quantification. Okay. If a partial admission is made but not accepted, either initially or after negotiation, then we move to quantification on the basis that the, the liability issue is put on ice until the parties know whether quantum can be agreed. The truly novel, novel element of how this portal works when compared to the existing portal is that in the face of a denial, the parties can pause the portal process and go to court for an adjudication on liability. And if liability is found against the defendant at that hearing, either in full or in part, then the claim returns to the portal process to deal with quantification. Throughout all of those response options, the parties have the right to upload further liability evidence in support of their claim. So, Glyn, from what you're saying, they can upload evidence, further evidence, at any time. What's the point of that? Well, claimants might wish to hold off gathering and uploading all of their evidence initially until they know whether liability is truly an issue. And I think that's a good idea in principle. You know, why should claimants waste time gathering and uploading evidence to the fullest degree if liability is going to be admitted anyway? 
But it does mean that a claimant's liability case can be added to over and over, and the defendant has to reconsider its position with each new bit of evidence uploaded. So can defendants do the same? They can. So it's certainly fair from that perspective, yes. Okay, let's look at the timelines, 30 days, and another big question. What if a defendant does not respond at all within the 30 days they have? What happens? Simple, they're deemed to admit the claim. And that of course is completely different to the existing portal. In the existing portal, if you do not give a response on liability within the 15 days you have, liability remains an issue and the claim leaves that process. Here though, it's the other way around. If you don't give a response in the 30 days, liability is deemed admitted. So it's vital that defendants go back within the 30 days. It's a pretty crucial period then. It is, but it's not all or nothing. It's not a case of unless I deny with my entire package of liability evidence in 30 days, I will be paying all claims arising from this accident. It's, it's not that clear cut. Firstly, the defendant has the witness summary facility. So that allows a holding position on liability to be stated under a general denial with evidence to follow. The second thing to bear in mind is that admissions in this new portal process, whether full, part or deemed, are not binding upon the insured driver or in relation to any other claims. So let's just take that in. An insurer might agree to deal with a claim by admitting it, perhaps, let's say, because they have not got a signed statement from the defendant, but then elect not to admit a second claim arising from the same accident, because, let's say, by that point, they do have a signed statement from the defendant. And the admission, even if it's made to the other driver involved, does not prevent a defendant from pursuing a claim against that other driver. So they really are non-binding in nature, these admissions. Certainly from what you're saying, Glenn, that massively differs from the existing portal, doesn't it? It does, it does. It's not set out in black and white in the existing portal rules, but there is case law relating to how it operates, which is pretty much accepted as fair which details that an insurer in the existing portal, which admits to the other driver, does bind their insured and they prevent their insured from claiming in the other direction. The, the admission essentially being between two tortfeasors also essentially ends liability once and for all. And it prevents that insurer from denying other legitimate claims, but that just isn't the case with this OIC portal. I'm interested in your views. What do you think this is about? So why have the MOJ essentially made admissions non-binding here, yet binding in the existing portal and beyond? Well, the logic isn't entirely clear, but in my view, it must simply be to do with value. The issue of admissions, particularly when there are indemnity issues, remains thorny in the existing portal. It's not 100% settled even in the existing portal. And with claimants being unrepresented in this portal and costs not being recoverable, of course, in this process, the architects of this new portal have simply thought to themselves, we'll cut off this whole debate at its knees. We'll make these, these admissions non-binding. Uh, and for me, that's sensible.
Okay, Glyn, rapid fire. What would be your top three pieces of advice to insurers on how to be ready to deal with liability under the new regime? Okay, top three. Uh, firstly, I'd say try to get all of your evidence or certainly a signed statement from the defendant within the 30 days. But don't worry, you can't meet that deadline. You've still got the witness summary. Um, secondly, don't worry about prejudicing your insured's claim. Those days are gone in this portal. If you want to admit, you admit. And thirdly, I'd probably say think about timelines and potentially increasing claim value. And admission, even in part, allows instant quantification of the claim in this process, and therefore a quite quick negotiation. But if you deny liability in full and the claimant doesn't accept your denial and go away, it means you're probably heading to a liability determination hearing. And how long will that take to be heard? We don't yet know. What we do know is medical evidence is not obtained until some liability attaches to the, to the defendant. So unless the claim is successfully defended in full at these liability determination hearings, you may well simply have served to massive, massively delay the point at which medical evidence is obtained. And will that have an impact on damages? You know, we don't yet know. So they're just something to think about, I think, Pavita. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you for that. That was a great run through. Are you very welcome? So what's up next? Uh, well, the next podcast, I will be doing my best to fill your shoes as host, and I will be joined by Paul Ryman Tubb. As you know, Paul is a partner here at Waitman's, and he will be discussing the indemnity issues and problems thrown up by this new portal. Fantastic. Well, it might not be me asking the questions, but I look forward to hearing what Paul has to say. All that's left for me to say is thank you once again. We hope you enjoyed the second podcast in a series of 10. Please do look out for the third on all matters indemnity in the OIC portal, which will be released soon. If in the meantime, you want to discuss any aspects of these reforms, then please do not hesitate to contact Glyn Thompson, whose details appear at the bottom of the screen. Thank you for listening.